You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Thanks for joining me for this Florida and Texas A&M game preview. I'll have Cole Thompson from Locked On Aggies podcast and an NFL analyst for Pro Football Network. He will sit here on Gators Breakdown and talk uh, Jimbo Fisher, Kellen Mond, uh, a defense that needs to rebound from their performance versus Alabama last week. Really, really good Texas A&M preview coming up here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, if you want some Gators Breakdown merchandise, you can support us that way over at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. One more time, ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown for your Gators Breakdown merchandise there. So uh, if you want to support Gators Breakdown in some other ways, just besides listening, listening, listens are enough, <laughs> believe me. Uh, but if you want to uh, show your support for Gators Breakdown, you can get some Gators Breakdown merchandise and also remember you can find gators breakdown on news4jacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes there as well as news for jacks coverage of the gators please share rate and review the show subscribe on youtube and if you're out there on youtube hit that like button that really helps us out or check us out on your favorite podcast platform if you want just the audio version all the gators breakdown on social media we're on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown Cole Thompson of the Locked On Aggies podcast and NFL analyst for Pro Football Network joins us here on Gators Breakdown to preview the Texas A&M Aggies. Cole, man, thanks for hopping on. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get straight into it here. And been kind of been hearing all week how big this game is for Jimbo Fisher. And, of course, not necessarily job status or anything like that, but, you know, maybe everybody brings up that contract. And, and is he living up to that huge contract uh, since he's become the head coach for the Aggies? So there's always been some positive offseason momentum for Texas A&M and Jimbo's tenure. But, but what's holding back this team so far under Jimbo? You know, it's really weird. I think the biggest thing is going to be the quarterback position. You do look at what he was able to do back in 2003 with Matty Mock. You look at what he was able to do uh, during his time at Florida State, getting three first-round picks and Christian Ponder, E.J. Manuel, and, of course, the two great years of Jameis Winston. And that's been what he's known for. He's been known as a quarterback guru throughout his short tenure in the SEC and early career at Florida State. But you look at the last several quarterback, Ever Golson, Sean McGuire, DeAndre Francois, James Blackman even, who's having a better year with Mike Norvell calling the shots than he ever did when it was uh, Willie Taggart or it was Fisher. And now Kellen Mond, who seems to really have regressed in the last two seasons alone. So that's the biggest thing. And when you look at the contract status, it's just it's very weird for the sheer fact of you look at how much 
he is as a recruiter, but then the, the production doesn't match the overall status that you want for someone who is finishing in the top five in recruiting classes year in and year out. I mean, this is a guy who, when looking at just his hiring overall, he's gone 18 and 10 over the course of three years at A&M. Now, last year, of course, was a down year. But when you face the number one team three times in a single season, you're likely going to lose those games. The problem is, is that he's one in seven all time against SEC West opponents. And he would really be 0-8 if it didn't come down to that game that went seven overtimes against LSU. So there's a lot of positive to like with Jimbo Fisher, but you're paying a guy $7.5 million to become the next big name in the SEC. And you look at what Dan Mullen's done, who was hired the exact same year, taking over a team in Florida, who was four and eight. He's gone 23 and five, 13 and five in the SEC. And he's four and three against ranked AP opponents going nine and four versus SEC East division. So it's an easier division, but you want to see similar production for that price. And you're not getting it with Fisher when you're getting a great deal for a guy like Mullen. All right, so you mentioned Kellen Mond and, and the quarterback position here for, for, for the Aggies. And look, you're coming into the season, thought to be near the top of the SEC quarterback chain and you know didn't have a great start versus Vanderbilt in, in game one and then rebounded to have a, a pretty you know nice look versus Alabama in the loss last week. Even with all the experience, you know, the question still remains how much he can improve and if he will improve. I know it's only been two games, but what are the signs that maybe, you know, I guess going back to the Alabama game and, and playing better, that, that, uh, that he can be that guy? I think the biggest thing is that his ability to work with targets. The one thing that you have to realize is he did lose all three of his starting wide receivers last year in Jamon Osmond opting out and the Kendrick Rogers and Courtney Davis going towards the NFL. So this is a brand new offensive system. And when you are a veteran quarterback, it does take time to build that repertoire with young receivers. So a guy like Chase Lane and a guy like uh, Demond Demas, one of the five-star recruits, they're going to have a lot of success in a and system. It may just not be with Mott, but you do look at where he has flourished and it is working with older receivers such as tight end Jalen Weidemeyer, such as Anaya Smith, such as Ryan Rennick, all of whom have scored, all of whom have been effective on third down. That has been Mond's bread and butter. The problem is, is that when you have Smith playing a running back role, it's a lot of dump passes. When you're looking at how the tight end position is being played, it's a lot of short slants and out routes. So there's no real drive down the field, which eats up the clock. But if your defense isn't going to be able to play up the par, all you're doing is eating up more time that allows a quicker team such as Florida, such as Alabama, such as Mississippi State to go downfield in six or seven plays while you're doing 21, uh, 21 play drives to set up them to be more successful and then, of course, go into a shootout. So for Mon, the biggest thing is going to have to be finding a balance between working the intermediate routes and working in the deep routes. Because if he does have a great arm, and when you do compare him to some of the quarterbacks in the SEC, he's done a fantastic job showing the deep ball. But this season, it's a lot of dump and a lot of short. That is only going to work so long, and defenses are slowly going to be able to pick it up, especially one like Todd Grantham's. Yeah, it's kind of what we saw from South Carolina last week <laughs> when Florida and South Carolina got together. So, uh, you know, if we see it for two weeks in a row, you know, that uh, would be a trend that Florida has has got to see two weeks in a row now. So you mentioned the wide receiver group and, and how young they are, how inexperienced they are. You know, but Florida has had one wide receiver from their opponents, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss a couple weeks ago, Shai Smith from South Carolina last week, you know, identified as targets to stop but still had issues in doing so. 
So if you had to pick a Texas A&M wide receiver to be the focal point for the passing game, do the Aggies have that guy? If I had to go out on a limb, I would say DeMond Demas is the one to watch for, but he's barely played in two games. He didn't take a single snap in week one against Vanderbilt, and I think he only took about four snaps in week two against Alabama. So I'm going to go with, in this case, Jalen Preston. This is a guy who's worked in as pretty much the immediate replacement for Courtney Davis as your do-it-all wide receiver. He's played the Z position. He's played inside the slot. He's played the flanker role. He's done a good job on third down. He's the most efficient wide receiver through two weeks of play in the young season. I think his speed allows him to be effective in the slot. I think his Overall size is a little bit limited on the outside. So the biggest thing for him is making bigger plays with his body. I think if he can do that, he can be a consistent uh, target to watch for, especially with the way Florida's secondary has looked early on at that nickel position. I think with a, a mismatch between him and whoever lines up with the nickel, whether it be Marco Wilson or another player, I think that that's somewhere where I think that a&M could find a lot of success, especially on short plays. So I would go Jalen Preston, but watch out for DeMond Demas if he does play. This is a top 25 kid from last year's recruiting class, one of the few five stars at the receiver position. He's got a bright future, I think, is the immediate replacement and the next great wide receiver to come out of A&M. And you're talking about mismatch here. I think one mismatch we have to point to is tight end Jalen Watermeyer. Uh, one guy I think, you know, we're talking about maybe wide receivers to look out for that's killed Florida the last two weeks. But, you know, I, I have trouble finding a good matchup for Florida's defense with, with Weidemeyer. Yeah, Weidemeyer to me is the name to watch for. And uh, I've been on a few podcasts this week, and this is the one guy that I've been talking about nonstop. This is a six foot four tight end who has made the most of his short receptions. He finished with to- a total of eight catches last week against Alabama with two catches the week before he has 101 yards on the year but he's averaging 10.1 yards per catch so basically if you put a linebacker on him what you're doing is you're limiting another option to make hit to make another receiver open so someone like Caleb Chapman someone like Ezekiel Jones someone like Jalen Preston or Chase Lane will be open because you have to double team someone like Weidemeyer but if you leave Weidemeyer open This is a guy who has good speed. He has good size. He's a mismatch for linebackers. You have to play a safety on him for coverage purposes alone. And he picks up first outs. So to me for A&M, the biggest thing is in a game that I do believe is a must win to salvage the season. You have to go with what you know. And right now it's the run game. And right now it's the short passing game. Number 85 is the true number one target in college station. They have to target him at much as possible especially on third down efficiencies glad you brought up that run game too Anaya Smith uh you know picking up some slack you know if, if it's not a wide receiver that uh A&M can kind of key on as as the main target as other teams have done against Florida the last couple of weeks if if not the wide receiver it could be running back Anaya Smith six catches 123 yards last week two touchdowns versus Alabama has that ability shown the ability to be as pass a pass catcher as Isaiah Spiller 117 yards week one versus Vanderbilt I guess got some weapons back there in the backfield. They do. They have a three-headed monster, and I think you also forget about Devon Shane, who's played very little, but he's a freshman coming out of Fort Bend Marshall High School in Houston, Texas. The guy has over 4,000 rushing yards and 87 career touchdowns during his three-year stint 
as the all-purpose player for the Buffalo's offense. So he's a guy who can win with speed. You have Spiller, who is a burly back. He's great after contact. He does a very good job breaking out into the open field. And then you have Anaya Smith, who's a little bit of both. He can use his hands because he played wide receiver last year. He can be effective as a runner. He has great speed. I think when you look at his agility as well, it's why Jimbo Fisher and the team elects to use him on special teams as the kick and punt returner because of what he can do with his elusiveness in the open field. And he can win at every single level. He can win at the line of scrimmage. He can win between the trenches. He can get upfield and make defenders miss. And he's got pretty good strength as well to, to run off and juke out and even stiff arm some players to get that extra few yards. He, to me, is the key weapon of this offense right now. He's consistent. He does everything a little bit great. There's nothing really that stands out about him that makes him, I would say, a problem. In fact, I see him as one of the few solutions with A&M's offense. So I think that making sure if you're Florida, you circle Agent Zero on your spreadsheet because what he can do is win at every single level with his legs, his arms, his vision, everything about him just stands out. Cole Thompson of the Locked On Aggies podcast joining us here on Gators Breakdown to now transition to the other side of the ball in, in the defense here for the Aggies. And look, they've had trouble generating pressure through the first two weeks with only three sacks in, in the first two games here. And with this Florida passing attack coming to town, how much of an emphasis is, is put there now? And do you expect to see defensive coordinator Mike Elko try anything different to generate some pressure? You know, I think that the biggest thing is just finding a way who are the three best people. I mean, I mean, when you really look at it, it's been basically Michael Clemens getting the pressure and everyone else kind of just falling behind Clemens right now leads the team with three sacks on the year. Uh, he's also, I think in the top four in total sacks in the sec. Uh, and there's not another player outside of McKinley Jackson with half a sack who was on with, with Clemens on that sack against Vanderbilt against Ken seals that really stands out as a true pass rusher. I think finding a way to get DeMarvin Leal a little bit more involved, keep in mind this is a six foot five, 290 pound defensive end who's playing as fast as most defensive ends outside of linebackers in the NFL. You want to be able to see him get some pressure. I think Tyree Johnson is a great rotational guy to bring in. I think Jaden Peavy is really good as a bull rusher, but you're just not seeing it right now. I think finding a connection to where you can win with one guy, especially in the trenches, a guy like Bobby Brown stuffing one side of the line and allowing Peavy to go on single sets upfield to add pressure to a backfield into a guy like Kyle Trask. That's how you win because what happens is a quarterback will work his way out. You'll have Clemens on one end. You'll be able to push him back in. And by then, Leal should be upfield to be able to bring him down for a sack. Consistent pressure is the biggest thing. Florida has not done a good job at it. A&M has certainly not done a good job at it. The difference between the two is when Florida gets pressure, it usually ends in a positive play for them where the Aggies, it just doesn't seem to generate that same type of style. One guy on this defense, uh, Buddy Johnson, senior linebacker, certainly off to a fast start. 11 tackles versus Vanderbilt, then backed that up with eight last week versus Alabama. All this after leading the team in tackles last year. Uh, what makes him the tackling machine that he is? Uh, great vision. I mean, that, that's really the best thing I can say about him. His vision and ability to read and react is second to none. His ability to work upfield, his ability to play the run makes him very dangerous at that first level of defense. And he really had to pick up as a middle of the field kind of tackler because of Anthony Hines, the cover linebacker for A&M last year, decided to opt out with a week before the start of the season. So when you see him playing both the first and second line of defense, it's showing his raw ability and great speed 
closing speed that allows him to be effective in both the running pass game. I think when you tie him and Aaron Hansford together, Hansford and Andre White Jr. are still learning how to play the position. So Johnson had to step up and be that main guy. So far, he has shown exactly what I think Elko and Fisher have wanted from him. And he's a true leader on the defense. When you are a captain, you have to live up to that status. And more than not, he has. All right, last one here on the Aggies before we uh, let you go here. You know, before the season, through through transfers and opt-outs, the, the secondary depth at A&M took a hit, then had the game at Bama last week where there was so much success with the Crimson Tide through the air. But, you know, Alabama's going to do that to a lot of teams. So you you, you kind of just take that w- w- with what it is. But what's the outlook in the secondary going against Kyle Trask and these weapons? You know, the biggest thing is going to have to be stopping a guy like Kyle Pitts. I mean, you've seen what he can do as a tight end. He's six foot four. He plays like a wide receiver on the outside in the slot. So he's basically a giant flex position. This is where a guy like Damani Richardson really needs to step up. In week one, he had a great interception in the red zone against Ken Seals. That went back for uh, what would have been a touchdown and ended up being a touchback. Uh, you're going to have him probably lining up a lot over the top of Pitts. Probably also because you can't trust Hansford or Andre White just yet. Uh, On the outside, I think you need to see a big game from Miles Jones. Uh, Listen, Jalen Jones, the five-star recruit at the wider, I mean, at the uh, cornerback position. Let's get this out of the way. One, he was a safety in high school, and two, he's going to the SEC and learning on the fly in a shortened offseason. That's going to be a challenge for anyone. Miles Jones, a six-foot-four cornerback, has been a starter for three years. And in an offense that is missing all four of their starting receivers from last year in Florida, you cannot get burnt. You cannot see that same type of production that was lost against Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell. And even John Mechie, the freshman for Alabama, against this team that is pretty much replacing all their weapons outside of pits. Uh, I had a couple of people actually speak to me around Florida who are very close to the team saying, whenever you cover Kyle Pitts, what it does is it leaves an opening for another target. So for Miles Jones, he's going to have to make sure that one of these targets on the outside continues to be limited. So that way they have to force the ball to pits. And when they do, Richardson does a great job of getting his hands involved. And then Leon O'Neill comes right up top. He has two interceptions on the year. He's done a very good job playing in that rangy roaming safety role. So I expect him to have a big game as well. Kind of playing in that same position. Cole, you're in that Houston area, man. And, uh, was that what's the thought of Kyle Trask and, and being from that area? And were, were you around that area when he was being recruited and, and behind the Eric King there in Manville? So I was actually in college when he was getting recruited out of Florida. Uh, but I do know a little bit about Kyle Trask. In fact, I just learned about him was his family actually grew up Aggies and his name comes after being named after Kyle Field, which is a pretty cool moment. He's going to have his family in the stands in some capacity. They're going to be at College Station in some way or form. Uh, This is going to be a really big game for him. And this is a kid, keep in mind, he was playing behind a five-star tool player in uh, in Derek King, who's now at Miami. He really wasn't a starter. He kind of was just around the system in Manville for three years as kind of a backup. And he he got a scholarship to go to Florida and then what you've seen from him since really not making a starting impact in over four or five years last year, I think that just shows the upside potential about him. Everything that I've heard around the SEC just in general, this is the kid who is impressing the most. He's earning the most to boost his draft stock up. Uh, you know, it's really hard to say where he would land today, but I would not be shocked if he can, if he continues his path, he's going to eventually find himself in the Heisman trophy conversation. He's likely going to find himself for a QB needy team, probably early day two of the NFL draft next year. And he's going to have a chance to make an impact at the NFL level for sure. 
All right, it's Cole Thompson of the Lot Known Aggies podcast joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Cole, man, thank you so much for previewing these Aggies for us. Hey, anytime. Between the NFL, college football, and the MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday at MyBookie. If you're the type that likes to bet the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash into your wallet. You can sign up at MyBookie. Just use promo code GATERS and you can grab a free $20 wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code GATERS for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stat UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season only at MyBookie. So let's go back a little bit. You know, last week, that's kind of where I, I want to start in looking at this game for Florida and where they can attack and maybe have some success uh, versus A&M. And look, it's it's no surprise it's going to be in the passing game, uh, I think. And that's not to shy away from the run game or anything like that. But Florida's a passing team right now. Led with Kyle Trask, led with Kyle Pitts, led with Kadarius Tony, led with all the weapons on offense at wide receiver. And it's kind of the same way at Alabama. You know, they of course they like to run the ball. They can run the ball better than Florida. They have a much better offensive line than Florida. But they have weapons outside, weapons at receiver, and they're a good quarterback that can get it to them. So they can be explosive in the passing game, much like Florida. So kind of going back to last week and looking at the Aggies' defense, Texas A&M gave up passing plays of 78, 35, 87, and 63 for chunk plays through the air there. There were a lot more, but those were <laughs> those were the big ones uh, there. Mac Jones for Alabama started 7-7 seven seven and at one time was 16-20 of 20 while ending the game 20-27 of 27 for 435 yards. 435 yards on 20 completions. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's chunking the ball through the air there. Four touchdowns for an average of 21.8 yards per completion. So, uh, you know, one reason besides all the weapons uh, Jones has out there is that, you know, he wasn't touched uh, much all game uh, from the Aggies. They only got to him once all day. Through two games, Texas A&M only has three sacks so far uh, on the season. That's going back to Vanderbilt week one, Alabama week two. Uh, Senior defensive line Michael Clemens is responsible for two and a half of the three sacks. So, you know, if the Aggies show a problem of getting to trash, you look for more chunk plays to be made from this Florida offense. Uh, I don't think near the amount that Alabama had last week. I mean, look, Alabama had three last week over 50 yards, 78 87-63. You know, Florida has the 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 uh, catch and run versus Ole Miss, uh, the, the Steph Farm from Kyle Pitts for 71 yards, and then the 57-yarder uh, to Tony last week. Uh, so, you know, he had to – just uh, all his magic that he was – you know, Tony was able to, to to perform there. But, you know, you know also for, for those two, you know, Florida's a bit different than Alabama as far as their explosives. Uh, Alabama's explosives are, are you know, are longer throws uh, behind the secondary and the coverage. You know, Pitts, as I said, had the Steph Farm on his way to one. Tony hit his with about a 10 to 15-yard throw, and he's off to the races, breaks some tackles, finds the end zone. 
So, you know, can Florida continue to hit their explosive plays that way? Uh, or can they get wide receivers behind the coverage for bomb type plays uh, that Alabama or that Alabama was able to get on A&M last week? So, or, or does the A&M defense kind of clamp down uh, against an offense that's a bit different uh, than Alabama? So, look, I, I think, you know, you look at Florida and Alabama and can p- kind of compare their passing games. There are some similarities there. I just think a little more explosiveness because I think uh, Alabama's comes from more of, a, of their receivers and their explosive receivers Florida's is Kyle Pitts and him, and him being able to create that and Tony who's not necessarily the, the burner straight line speed guy who's going to get behind coverage he's the guy who's going to make you miss and then off to the races so it's different explosiveness when you look at Alabama and you look at Florida so I don't know uh you know I'll get into a little bit more later too but uh, how that just kind of translates into Florida just different style of offense as well uh, and what Alabama's running and what Florida and Dan Mullen are running so Aggies, they'll throw a lot of zone coverage at Trask, and he's done well at picking apart defenses that come at him that way. Um, but so another reason may not be a chance for many explosives with the way Florida matches up uh, against zone there, uh, just picking them apart there with Trask. And he, you know, Trask has shown the ability to be patient, takes what the defense gives him, gets the ball to the wide receivers. If the wide receiver breaks it, fine. If not, line up, do it again until A&M, you know, maybe throws a different coverage at Trask, you know, then where an outside receiver can take advantage like Alabama uh, did last week. So um, different offenses, of course. You know, Mullen has identified that uh, that he likes to, you know, that chance for Florida, too. You have to identify when he likes that chance and when we like to see Trask take uh, some deep shots outside. It's, it's uh, you know, Florida's offense, that – the outside receivers do run deeper at, at times, but a lot of the times it's to clear the way for, for the middle, clear the way for the underneath throws. And that works so well uh, in this offense, and Trask is able to identify that. Uh, but after, after seeing him give up some chunk plays last week, you know, it could be there for Florida deep down the field. So is it Trevon Grimes? Is it Jacob Copeland? Is it Xavier Henderson that maybe has the breakout game if you want to kind of compare what you saw last week Alabama do and maybe Florida maybe translate that this week? Here we go. That's kind of what I'm looking for on the offense and the, the passing games. Going to the other side, uh, Kellen Mond, look, not that he's not a great quarterback. He has some great moments, but he's not a great quarterback. So uh, you still have to worry him escaping the pocket. He's not, I mean, he's not going to wow you with arm talent, not going to wow you with decision making all that much either. So, um, but, you know, he, sometimes he, he leaves the pocket too much, even when he shouldn't, because I don't, I'm not sure how much he fully trusts the offense, fully trusts his arm uh, to, to make all these, you know, these throws that he has to make. You know, I, I'd hate to see again where these defensive ends pursue too far upfield and, and no one's there with no push from the middle. You know, Will and I discussed that earlier this week. And we said it in the last episode, you know, through recruiting, there's very little size up front for Florida to be playing kind of like they are. Slayton's good in the middle, but the defensive ends aren't, aren't fit for this style of play when teams just kind of want to, you know, run run through Florida and the ends are way out of position or ends are way out of position. Not necessarily out of position on dropbacks, but they're having to go wide and there's just no force up the middle. Uh, there, so you know, are there going to be more lanes for Kellen Mond to run? Uh, you know, when he needs to take off and run. So, uh, you know, as far as you know, getting pushed around a little bit with less numbers in the box, and, and it's you know, easing to leading plays, leading to easy plays uh, for the opposing offense, and mo- mostly because the quarterback can find some extra time or run himself uh, for some extra yardage. So. I mean, I think a lot of it too. And you go back to the, the to the back end a little bit. Can we finally see the defensive backs play aggressive too? You know, I, I just don't get the the athletes that you have at Florida 
and on defense, you know, playing the soft coverage, whether it be man or zone. It doesn't matter what Florida's playing man or zone. It's off. It's, it's not aggressive. Uh, There's way too much letting the wide receiver catch the ball and then trying to make a play to, to either break up the pass or, or make the tackle. Turnovers aren't happening like that. The, the, DB, the DBs are too far off too slow to react, can't make plays on the ball because of it. So you know, in an offense for Texas A&M that uses the middle of the field, I think due to Mon's limitations here, uh, you know, will, will, will Florida continue to let plays happen over the middle uh, of the field once again? Uh, in the safe approach we've seen so far, you know, we've seen that part of the defense just get abused over and over again. We'll grant them a just by dropping linebackers to, to help there or maybe bringing some safeties up a bit more. Hard to say because I still don't know how much he trusts back in. I don't know how much he trusts the safeties uh, to come up and then a big play happen right behind them. So you just yeah, I, I hate to bring it up again, but you may see a lot more zone again just because, you know, Mon and his legs and him running the ball. Uh, but if, if it's me, I, and I'm not an undefensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, as I said, he'll forget more about defense than I'll ever know. But uh, maybe we could see a little bit more aggression here all over the field. Uh, there so uh, you know we'll, we'll see some changes happen at nickel uh, we'll, we'll see this as I said the last episode I expect Brad Stewart to be back this week uh, word was he was having a good camp at nickel before he missed the first two games you know well let's see it you know let, let's go see it if not Stewart then maybe Chester Kimbrough or Travez Johnson let Marco Wilson play more outside uh, but um, you know one scary aspect <laughs> and I'm looking at another position uh, for this is Aggies running back Anaya Smith and his ability out of the backfield to catch some passes killed Alabama a, a bit last week with that and um, we saw the issues for for Bernie last week and then after you know what happened uh, last week on both sides of the equation with Smith and, and what he did to Alabama and what we saw from Bernie last week as well uh, you, you you know Jimbo saw that. You know Jimbo's going to scheme with that. So definitely something to, to look out for as much as they like to use their running backs out of the backfield. So, you know, will it be Bernie? Will it be Diabate to keep up with Smith? Will we see James Houston out there? And he may have trouble keeping up in that regard. So there's one chess match to watch. Who's far going to have out there at linebacker to kind of maybe keep up with Smith? And how much success that he that, does he have, um, and, and go from there. So that is certainly certainly uh, one of the matchups uh, to watch right there. But overall, you know what I'm saying, and you guys are, are saying it too. Overall, for this defense to be fast, physical, aggressive—that's what we've heard about Todd Grant. That's what we've heard about Dan Mullen with this. And, and you know, right now, third game of the season with the struggles we've seen the first couple of weeks. You know, that's. I don't want to make it sound that easy. You know, you, fast physical game. You can't go out there and blitz every play uh, or anything like that, of course. But you know, it's supposed to be a staple uh, of a Todd Grantham defense, and we're not seeing it. You know, there's too much reaction, not enough dictation. Uh, you, you, know, you do what you need to do. Dictate the opposing offense schematically. Whatever's out there the first couple games is not working right now. You know, getting players back will help. Uh, but, you know, go force an opponent to do something. Now, it's not as, like I said, it's not that easy. You can't go butts gung-ho every down. But, you know, you still have to play within the game. But my worry versus Texas A&M is Grantham gets too conservative because Mon has some mobility. And, you know, this maybe this isn't the game where we see the, see more the more aggression, but Mon struggles with pressure in his face. So, and, and to a point, you know, that can be part of the game plan. It, it uh, the game really is on the front, the defensive front to contain the edges, 
get a push up the middle. And if what we saw the, the last couple of weeks with inconsistent pressure up front, then strategic, strategically bring the dogs. And it's just what probably what this game is going to have to be. At this point of the season, and look, it's only two games, but I'm not so sure I can, I can say Mon and the Aggies is better than, than what we saw from Corral and Ole Miss a couple weeks ago. And, you know, in Florida there, you know, just go tackle better. Uh, and that's the first step, honestly. And, you know, just just that one aspect uh, can, can can help down in distant situations. And, you know, I, I just lead to Mon, I think, forcing some things. Spring up, you know, you start tackling better. You start getting teams in second long uh, and making them maybe throw the ball, third and long, throw the ball, and pressure, 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 mine in those situations. So, man, it, it, it sounds so easy. I know it's not that easy, but uh, it's, just, it's just the way it goes. So, uh, and then, you know, kind of going to the other side, the Aggies defense. It, it, they're, they're much better uh, than Ole Miss. So I, I don't expect 50 points here uh, from the offense. And I can see it if the game turns into a shootout. Uh, but I'm not, I, I'm not fully sure fully sure uh, that it does. And, I, and overall, I have a close game here. I, I can't fully get behind trust this defense until I see more uh, right now. I know you guys, <laughs> just a couple weeks ago, preview episodes before the season, I was high on the defense. And uh, the confidence is not there uh, right now, uh, but I'm still a full believer, full believer in the offense. So right now, uh, I kind of have it 37-30 Gators. Uh, we, we still have, uh, will we still have the same questions next week that we do this week? In a 37-30 game, we will. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's, it's going to be that way. Uh, so you know, I think once the, de- once the defensive pieces get back together, and maybe we see hints of when they're out there this week that, okay, there's something to build on. You still may give up 30-ish points, but there's something that can build on. Then maybe we can start feeling better about the defense. But I, I don't think is I don't think our confidence is going to be back <laughs> just this week uh, as Florida takes on takes on uh, Texas A&M. Now, Grantham starts bringing more pressure, and, and Mon falls apart early on, like he like he does when pressured a bit. Then then I can see a 40 to 23 type of game. Uh, but I'm just not so sure we see that adjustment full board aggression just yet until maybe these pieces start gelling together and, and, and get them trust what he has out there. I'm not so sure he trusts that, what he has out there. It, it's kind of what it boils down to as far as maybe giving up big plays and you're just going to give up. I'm going to let teams nickel and dime you to death. It's kind of like uh, South Carolina did last week. Uh, so, you know, if you hold teams out of the end zone, it works. But, uh, you know, we've got to <laughs> grant them that. But from you guys out there, has been criticized for the Ben don't break uh, nickel dime defense. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But that's how I got it. Thirty seven thirty Gators. I think it's gonna be a close game all throughout uh, there. And uh, and look and I caution people don't uh, you know we're gonna do it. It's only kind of natural. But we're gonna look and say oh Alabama beat Texas A and M so much worse. Well you know what it's Florida's just kind of where they're at right now on old defense. We know things have to get figured out, and hopefully they get figured out as the uh, as the weeks go on so let's uh get into the twitter sphere here and um i'm going to get uh, some of your guys reactions and what you want to see when florida and texas a&m battle it out on saturday and Boris bragdon starts us off here says consistent running off the foot uh running off the football cut down the on the subbing get copeland and grimes involved defensively put a unit out there keep them on the field uh, to develop chemistry, better tackling, better play uh, from our linebackers. And, yeah, you know, the, the subbing thing is, is kind of interesting. I do think, you know, Florida – I don't think Florida was too worried about 
game one and game two versus Ole Miss and South Carolina and losing those games. So I think that is part of one reason we saw a lot of substitution out there and also to cut down on injuries uh, as well. You get Slayton and uh, uh, and Dexter out there together, then you know you. I think you'll see more of those guys together starting this week just because of the, the opponent rising here, the, the competition rising a bit. But maybe one reason we didn't see them so much together the first couple of weeks is, you know, you need – if, you know, Slayton goes down, you need somebody to fill him in with or, or something. So I think you kind of limited – I think some limitations were, were put on some packages there just to keep guys healthy, rotate. Uh, the, the less you're out there on the field, the, the chances for your injury uh, go down. So I do think that's why we saw so many substitutions early on. But as these games get tougher, you got A&M and LSU. You need to identify your best 11 on defense and stick with them as much as you can out there. But Florida, it's kind of been a staple, though. Uh, Florida likes just you know rotating and, and bringing in guys off the bench. Well, all right. The Swamp Thing says, is defensive improvement too general? <laughs> so, look, a lot, a lot of these are going to be on defense, a lot of these comments. So, uh yeah, we'll, we'll see uh, where we go with, with some of these responses here. But Texas A&M is converting almost 52% of their third down attempts, fifth in the SEC. Florida's allowing teams to complete 48% of their third down attempts, tenth in the SEC. I'd like to see defense step up and see that number in the 30s. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is through two games right now. Florida did do better last week uh, versus South Carolina in third down. We know the fourth down conversions uh, with the bugaboo there, but um, – you know, through two games, some stats are kind of going to be skewed. So hopefully, but look, the third down one's important just because it's always been uh, a point of contention with Todd Grantham. So of course, uh, if it's bad right now, the the inclination is it's just not going to get better just because of the history there. So uh, I get it, I get it uh, there. So we'll, we just kind of have to look out uh, for that one. Uh, Jake Arfon says, and this one's kind of simple, and the reason I included it here though is just because it is a point of, uh, it is a note here that we should discuss. Brad Stewart and Kyrie Campbell is what Jake Arfon says uh, he wants to see versus Texas A&M. I expect Brad Stewart to be back. The news on Kyrie Campbell is really good. He's back with the team, and I'm not sure he'll play this weekend or not. Uh, we'll, we'll see how practice goes th- this week, what kind of shape he's in, um, and, and go through it with that. But uh, it looks looks good for there, but I'd say Brad Stewart will be on the field versus Texas A&M. We'll see uh, with Kyrie Campbell. If Campbell's out there, then, uh, look, gives you some more depth and gives you some more energy, uh, as uh, Todd Grantham said this week. He's, he's the guy that brings the energy uh, to the defensive line, and we've all discussed how much uh, – lackadaisical and, and, and not enough uh, intensity out there on the field. Kyrie Campbell's a guy who can help bring that. <clears throat> Tyrone Shields says, a more cohesive, disciplined defense don't have to be elite, but have to do the simple things. No assignments, tackle better, make the plays on the ball, get out the field third and fourth down. And, and that's it, you know. Uh, it is simple things, but I guess it's a lot harder than, <laughs> than it looks. No assignments and tackle better. Um, look, I mean... We can stress tackle better right now, and hopefully it does get better throughout the season. It's going to have to be better Saturday, uh, but uh, you know you you're going to have to just going to have to. It's, it's a want to at, at this point. Uh, the assignments thing, uh, you know, the thing about assignments if uh, you know, if you had better depth uh, in certain positions. If the guys aren't doing their assignments right, you can just sit them down. Uh, but until guys start practicing better. Until guys start doing the behind the scenes work better, then you kind of you know stuck with where you're at. The you know, Mullen even said it this way: they got to practice better. So I think it's going to start behind the scenes, showing up on meetings on time, being where you're supposed to be on time, knowing your assignments, not playing around at practice, 
do the things you're supposed to do and everything will kind of take care of itself. So, um, take, you know, some personal accountability, uh, I think uh, are things to kind of look out for, uh, as well. Uh, let's see. One blaze Antonio says, Dave, I want to see the defense come out aggressive. Yep. They're kind of discussing the whole thing. DB's press man to man show aggressive looks eight man in the box. There you go. I mean, I, more, more, more pressure up front. Uh, I, I agree with that as well. They're just kind of playing too far off in almost every aspect of this defense right now. Uh, show aggressive, and he kind of explains it too. Show aggressive looks, even if you drop back into a zone after showing the look. I just see too much soft coverage, which leads me to soft play. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I think it's a, it's a mindset thing as well, I think. And if you let them go out there and play aggressive, they'll be aggressive, and you, you're making mistakes at least trying <laughs> but uh, i just think whatever you know todd grantham is deathly afraid of giving up the big play and i think that's just why we're not seeing it right now uh sloan lloyd says really want to see copeland get more targets yep uh, i think this might be the game if you go back and look and see what alabama did uh last week as i said you know it is different offenses but if dan mullen can kind of transition from what he saw last week at texas a&m do and implement um look like i said the, the receivers do have some deep routes anyway a lot of it is to clear underneath but if they're out there and it's taking, you got one-on-one and Grimes or Copeland and somebody got to, beats a guy deep, you know, Trask, as long as he's got the protection, he's got to go go out there and make that throw. Uh, Kevin Harris says, offense, continue to evolve, keep working on the run, don't let up. Uh, yeah, keep it, keep working on the run. I think we saw some good things from uh, Damian Pierce last week and his good, tough running. Um and I guess it was a little difficult. You would like to see, as I said earlier in the week, going back to the South Carolina game last week, you had a score, you were up, you would have liked to salt the game away. Uh, but you look at it, besides the kneel downs, the three ends that, three kneel downs to end the game, Florida only ran 50 plays. Uh, so you know, to, to work on things, you got to have a lot of plays to work on them. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, and he says defense, communication, tackling, discipline. Yeah, kind of extending some of the thoughts there. Now, Atticus Finch says, I want to see Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts often. I think we all do. Kyle to Kyle in Kyle Field. There we go. Uh, and if teams start altering their defense to key on Pitts, more chances for our other guys. With a more deadly in that situation. I, I do think this is a game where if, if Kyle Trask has some times, he's going to pick them apart, and there will be opportunities uh, to, to bomb away deep. Uh, Dustin uh, Laidler says, hope I'm saying that right, Dustin. Uh, more man-to-man at the line of scrimmage. No more eight yards in between on third and fourth down. Uh, Gator Don says, complete and total domination on both sides of the ball. Score more than 50 on offense. Defense hold uh, less than 14. Hopefully, hopefully so. Uh, probably the same country boy at UF1 says, probably the same as most fans, Dave. Uh, continued improvement on the offensive line. Uh, actually, we'd like to see that too. I think uh, we did see some improvements last week. Stuart Reese, I think, Played better than he did week one. Brett Hagee's playing with a mean streak out there right now. Uh, so, you know, and as Will pointed out last week, there were times Kyle Trask was hit uh, last week. So limit, limit the hit on, on, on Trask a bit. But, yeah, all in all, I think we can safely say through two games they are better than what they should last year. So I, I think we can say that. But as Country Boy here says, continued improvement on the offensive line. One thing Will would point out in his article as well is stunts. Stunts kill uh, this Florida offensive line a little bit. They're still having – uh, trouble picking up on stunts uh, right now. So, you know, work on those things uh, right now. As you sure Mike Elko, <laughs> A&M defensive coordinator, he's seeing that as well. So, you know, I think that's one thing to look out for uh, for, for the offensive line. So I'd like to see the defense take a large drive forward, of course. Of course, contained uh, continued ex- excellence from Trask. 
And here's another one that's been pretty important so far. No injuries. And I kind of went back just, you know, a few a few minutes ago saying I think we see some rotation out, out there to keep guys off the field, keep them from getting injured in a in a season where we don't know week to week who's going to be out there with, with COVID and, and how that can affect the team. But right now, I mean, Florida's playing the same offensive line and no injuries right now. You know, those guys are out there on the field, play after play, and they're still out there. So that's a testament uh, right there. You've seen no major injuries on defense. You're getting some guys back on defense, hopefully, as well. So, you know, through two games, you know, you're, you're seeing uh, some some really good stuff. You know, I know Marco got banged up uh, late last week. Everything seems to be good there uh, for now. So Florida, you know, I don't think it can be overstated. Through two games, a pretty healthy team right now. Uh, kind of to extend this one, uh, this was one I saw earlier, so I, I did want to look up some stuff with this, but WJS Steadwell 15 says, a quick start on the road. Need to get out in front and make Mon beat us through the air. Not sure if he can do that. Uh, I'm not sure if he can do that either, but it did get me uh, thinking here, and I went back and looked, looked at some Texas A&M notes too. And uh, very important here. Quick starts have been a harbinger of Aggie's victory in the Jimbo Fisher era. The Aggies are 14 and four when scoring first, and here's the here's the ringer, and a perfect 13 and 0 when leading after the first quarter in the Jimbo Fisher era. So <laughs> that could be something to look out for there. After the first quarter, the Aggies are 13 and 0 under Jimbo Fisher. So that's a, a pretty important one there, I guess, to, to keep an eye on. Of course, it doesn't mean much. You still got to go and play three more quarters. But it is a trend that, uh, to, to look out for there for Texas A&M. Another one here uh, that I went and looked, it's a, a fast start for Kyle Trask so far this year in the first quarter. He's 12 of 14 for 172 yards, 12.3 average per attempt, and three touchdowns in the first quarter so far this year. So if you're looking at you know, maybe – trending the other way and, and, and making sure Florida is at least, you know, tied or up after the first quarter. If that stat for Jimbo Fisher is going to hold true, at least, you know, you got some confidence in the quarterback that through two games so far, 12 of 14 for 172 yards and three touchdowns, uh, it's putting it together so the Gators don't get off to a slow start, at least on offense. So we'd love to, and I probably to the point here, love to see the defense get off to a faster start. Two straight games now to start this 2020 season, and the opposing offense goes down and scores touchdowns. So pretty important there, pretty important there. Kind of extending that, though, AJG uh, uh, at AA Ron Greca. I hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, Twitter names uh, sometimes can get you. So uh, uh, he goes, I would like to see us in a two-touchdown lead late in the fourth so newer players on defense can get some game reps. I'd like to see Cox and uh, Bernie. I'm, I'm assuming Bernie because, uh, yeah, I'm – have standout performances. Lastly, a Kyle win on Kyle Field. Go Gators. Fun, fun stuff there. Everybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the uh, interaction uh, there. And um, I really enjoy it. Hopefully, you know, a lot of things we just discussed here uh, happen uh, on Saturday as Florida and Texas A&M go at it. Before we go, let's take a look around the SEC this week. Of course, Florida, Texas A&M, noon on ESPN. Another nooner for the Gators, but uh, at the same time, you can catch last week's opponents, South Carolina and Vanderbilt in South Carolina. Rebound after an 0-2 start against uh, a team they should be better than, but where, where's the mindset of that team right now with all the questions uh, surrounding uh, Will Muschamp uh, in, in that program right now? Like I said, a game they should win, uh, but uh, you, know, you, you never know. Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt's playing better, uh, of course. You know, Did give 
Florida's opponent this weekend, Texas A&M, a, uh, a push a couple weeks ago, uh, but couldn't hold up against LSU uh, last week there. So both teams looking for their first win of the season in South Carolina and Vanderbilt at 3.30 to CBS game, Tennessee and Georgia. And I'm looking at this guy, looking at this game, guys, as kind of maybe last week's Georgia-Auburn game. Maybe this is the type of game that we should have saw last week in that matchup that we're actually going to get between Tennessee and Georgia this week. Uh, Tennessee better in the trenches, uh, I think, after everything Auburn lost last year in the trenches, offensive line in particular. They could not handle Georgia's defense, and it will be interesting to see all the, the, the highly rated offensive linemen Tennessee has now playing for them, how they'll be able to hold up against uh how, how they'll be able to hold up against Georgia. So to, to me, this is a, a referendum game on how far has Jeremy Pruitt brought this Tennessee program. He hasn't been competitive against Florida. He hasn't been competitive all that much against Georgia either. And this is supposed to be the year that they, you know, uh, not, not you know, win the East or threaten for the East, but show progress. And this is the first chance I think they get a chance to show progress against, you know, one of the better teams in the SEC. So how far they come, can Stetson Bennett for Georgia uh, continue his, his, his play as teams start getting more film on him and, 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 and learn how to defend him. So it, very interesting game. I think that the knockdown slobber, Slobber knocker game that we expected last week between Georgia and Auburn might actually be this week between Georgia and Tennessee. And then uh, 4 o'clock, SEC Network, Arkansas and Auburn. So Arkansas coming off the, a big win last week versus Mississippi State. Auburn looking their wounds after Georgia. So interesting uh, mental mental gymnastic game there. <laughs> Can Arkansas continue to ride the wave? And uh, how's Auburn going to react uh, after, after that Georgia game last week? 6 o'clock. Alabama and Ole Miss on ESPN. Interesting game there. Can Lane Kiffin and, and Matt Corral continue their offensive onslaught the first couple of weeks versus Florida and Kentucky against, uh, of course, Alabama, the best team in the SEC right now? Man, this could be a crazy shootout here if Alabama's defense isn't ready for, for Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral. Uh, I think this will be a fun game to watch, maybe only for a little while, but I think uh, there will be some fireworks in this game. So very interesting to see uh, there uh, with that game. 7.30, ES, uh, SEC Network, Mississippi State at Kentucky. That's that, as I said, 7.30, SEC Network. And Mississippi State, can they rebound after beating LSU but losing to Arkansas last week? Kentucky, disappointing 0-2 so far this year. Um, should have probably won both games versus Auburn and Ole Miss, but found a way to lose those games. Where's their heads at right now after starting 0-2 after a lot of uh, you know positive offseason talk about Kentucky and, and, and what they bring back this year? So, um, this, I mean, this very interesting game here, I think, of, of, for both programs. Uh, all the good talk from Mississippi State after week one could be washed away with another loss here. Uh, and this one to Kentucky. And Kentucky, man, if they start with three, man, I, I think would probably be the biggest surprise uh, in the SEC so far. And then the nightcap, of course, the game has been moved to Missouri. Uh, so the graphic hasn't been updated here. But uh, LSU will have to travel to Missouri now. Um, so we'll see, we'll see uh, where that game is. Yeah, I think that game's also been moved up uh, in the day too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, earlier in the day, I think it's a new 11 a.m. or noon kickoff there for uh, Missouri and LSU. That game has been moved officially now. So we'll see where that goes uh, and how TV works out <laughs> there uh, between because ESPN was supposed to show uh, Florida and Texas A&M and LSU and Missouri that night at uh, nine o'clock. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what uh, happens with LSU and Missouri, but that game will be played. In Missouri now, so that's the uh, question uh, there. Can LSU, you know, with everything kind of changing, uh, how do both teams react now? You know, is what a 
Missouri and is now a Missouri home game. Another early kick, another early kick before the came two weeks ago at Ole Miss. No, it's first game of the season. You're hyped to play the first game of the season when you weren't sure you're going to have a football season. Two weeks later, you're going the road again. Be a nice, nice to see another fast start uh, for this Florida Gator offense. And like we just said, a better start on defense uh, as well. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown in our Texas A&M preview. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.